What's up, everybody? My name is Jeremy, and this is the No Holds Podcast, and I have a very, very, very special guest for you for you today. She is, man, she's a lit pastor. I'm, I'm telling you, she, her messages are, man, they're fire. I'm, they will light a fire under you for sure. She is an amazing author. She is an awesome mother, an awesome wife, an awesome daughter. Man, she is Miss Daphne Delay. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. Yes, ma'am. No, um, I've uh, I've wanted you on here. I wanted you on here for the longest time, you know. But I kind of wanted to get my foot out there, you know, start doing, mm-hmm. kind of getting the the feel of it first before I had you on here because I know you have your own podcast and. Man, I do. Um, so I'm so proud of you for stepping out and doing this. Thank I know you. it's work, but it's yeah. it's rewarding. Oh so. yeah, very very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, just want to ask you a couple of questions sure. before we get started here. But um, favorite color? I knew you were going to ask that, so I'm going to answer two ways. Because if you were to look in my closet, I, it would look like I love black and taupe and gray. Uh, but color, um, not that I wear very often, but I think yellow is a happy color. Mm, so okay, I always yeah. say yellow. I just think it's a happy color. <laughs> All right. No, yellow's, I like yellow. Yellow's, yellow's nice. Mm-hmm. Favorite food? Mexican, for sure. Mexican. All and, the uh, time. <laughs> I, I, well, I always hear Pastor Todd talk about your uh, your enchiladas. <laughs> My chicken enchiladas. Yes, your chicken enchiladas. Uh, <laughs> it was a friend of ours, you would know her, but she said, she always called them those gringo chicken enchiladas. <laughs> but I think she meant because I make them with uh, flour tortillas oh, okay. instead yeah. of corn. And it was just a recipe I got when I was back in college, and it's his favorite. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, I have yeah. to make y'all some Yo, sometime. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I want to try those for sure. Um the your best advice you've ever received doesn't have to tell you don't have to tell me who from but you know i it's a it's advice that i share with people now and i don't remember who gave it to me but i do remember getting it when i was a young mom and uh, it was to enjoy every season mm. and so that predominantly i share with parents especially mothers um, because they tend to get, you know, oh, you know, they're learning to walk or they're going to high school or whatever. They're lamenting over, you know, the season that's passing. And I'm like, but enjoy every season. So mm-hmm. now we have, you know, grown children. And I enjoyed this season as much as I did any yeah. of the others in the past. You just have to embrace it. So I would say that would be good advice for anybody. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. very good advice. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. What about the worst advice you've ever received? I don't know. I'm not sure that I can think of that, but could I give you one that I've learned in ministry? Oh, yeah. Not, not worst advice, but the but the hardest lesson, maybe. I yes. could share that, and it might be oh, good. Yeah. The, the hardest lesson I've ever learned in ministry is that I can't choose for other people. Mm, yes. And, yeah. you know, we've been in ministry now 20-plus years, twenty going on 22 years. And, uh, and so when you see something, truth in the Word of God, and you see something that would be a help to someone else, uh, or even you're just ministering from the pulpit or whatever— uh, however they receive it, but then they walk out the door and turn a different way, and you just know that that's not going to be the road that's going to bring them success, and that's yeah. very difficult. But oh no, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I received that for mm-hmm. sure, for sure. Okay, what well, if you can go back and talk to your teenage self? What advice would you give her? I would definitely tell her uh, to find Jesus. I think that that sounds so. Um, 
maybe so Christian, <laughs> but I didn't know Jesus when I was mm. in high school. And so, um, and in fact, I have a, a good friend. We've been best friends since fourth grade and she went to church some and she even talks about going to youth camp and I give her a hard time like, why didn't you invite me? You know, but I was really never invited to a, a youth group or anything. Yeah. Uh, so I think that would be the first thing. If I could go back and talk to that girl, I would want to introduce her to Jesus for sure. Oh, yeah. uh, but in light of that, I think I would also just tell her that um, not to be so hard on herself, that there mm. is grace, that there is forgiveness, and that there is um, another chance. And yes. every day is a new day, you know, and not to lament the day before. So yeah. I think that's what I would want to embrace her with. Very good. Mm. Very good. I know I haven't asked this question in a while, but would you rather be loved or feared? I, I kind of already know where you're going with this, but what your answer Defin- would be. But, definitely love. And why? Well, I, th- I think because... Um, if you're going to be feared, then there's some intimidation there. Mm-hmm. And the enemy is already, you know, trying to intimidate people. God is, uh, we have a, a loving fear for God. He loved us first, so we love him. And, and there's a fearful respect or an honor that we have to God. But it's not the same thing. So to yes. me, when I hear, would you rather be feared? You know, that sounds like, you know, cracking the whip and mm-hmm. you're going to do as I say. And I've never, I've never been that kind of person. I've never, I don't see that even that God does that. Yeah. He, he lets me walk away and he loves me and could be crying about it, mm-hmm. but he would let me do that. So definitely yeah. loved. Definitely loved. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. Definitely loved. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to like, uh, I want to kind of talk about your testimony here. You know, I don't think I've really, I've heard bits and pieces of your testimony, just kind of like how Pastor Todd did. Mm-hmm. But um, so where were you born? Where, are you, where were you originally from? Well, I was born in Canyon, Texas. My parents were both um, going to college at West Texas uh, A&M mm-hmm. in Canyon. And so I was born there. Um, but my mom was originally from Leveland. My dad was originally from Plains. Mm. So they moved back to the Lubbock area. And so um, grew up a little bit in Lubbock, but my parents divorced when I was two years old. My brother was just an infant. And, um, and then my mom remarried, met a, uh, my stepdad in Lubbock, and he started his own business in Leveland. So about fourth grade is when I moved to Leveland and uh, ended up graduating high school there. But my stepdad, who I still have a close relationship with today, even though he's uh, no longer my parents my mom and my stepdad aren't married anymore, no. but he, he's been a part of my life for all these years. And uh, <clears throat> But he was agnostic, um, which means he didn't know if there was a God. His oh, dad man. was an atheist at the time, and thankfully mm. he died a Christian. Um, my, my dad's new uh, wife was able to pray with him in the hospital, so that's a great testimony. But growing up, you know, he just didn't know. And so um, my mom, who had been raised Methodist, had been raised in church. Um, but, you know, she adapted to her husband. And, um, you know, sometimes church can feel religious and, yeah. you know, depending on the church or the denomination or whatever. And and so for whatever reason, we just didn't go. We went to the lake on the weekends, you mm. know. So I wasn't really around church except on the holidays like Christmas or Easter when we go with my grandparents. And so... Um, like I said a minute ago, you know, my best friend went apparently, but, uh, didn't tell me or I was just clueless or whatever. And so just wasn't really raised around church. I thought, uh, you know, even Christmas and Easter, it was just a part of the holiday. Mm. Never really understood the foundation of Christianity, much less Jesus and salvation. So that's where I got my start. 
Oh wow, yeah. And so, do you uh, do you have a relationship with your real father? I do actually. Yeah. I'm going to play golf with him tomorrow. Oh wow! Uh, so yeah. we see each other quite regularly. So when I was growing up, um, you know, we had a distant relationship. In fact, it was kind of weird. When I was an adult, I realized I had a visiting relationship with him hmm. because I was two when they divorced. So I always felt like I, you know, like the visitor that walked up and knocked on the door to come in instead of just walking into the home. And yeah. I remember being in college, and at that time, both my parents were divorced. They both been. Uh, remarried three times each. And so that seemed normal to me. And, mm. and and I realize now that to some people, you know, they say, oh, well, that's dysfunctional. Mm. And it is, but it was my normal. Yeah. And my parents could even, in between marriages, we could all go out to eat as a family. And I didn't think anything about it. I thought that was normal too. Mm. So, um, so I had a good relationship, but it was a visiting relationship with my real dad. Um, but thankfully, as an adult, um, Todd and I got married in January of 1991, and him and his current wife got married in February of 1991. So we kind of have similar oh, wow. anniversaries. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so yes, I get to see him pretty regularly. Yeah. And uh, what age did you finally get a fully understanding of, I guess, of when they told you, hey, you know, your dad and I are pretty much, you know, we're divorced. We're no longer together. Like, I know you said it was, you were two years old when that happened. So. Right. So that one I don't remember at all. You know, I just, all like I said, I my memory is always having a visiting relationship with my dad. And uh, he lived in Houston. So we were the kids that, you know, had a little name tag. And we got oh. on the plane and flew to go see my dad. And that was fun. Like, you know, we uh, we saw it as an adventure. Mm. And, uh, but, uh, but now my stepdad... And my mom were married probably 10 years. That one I remember. And um, so however old you are in fourth grade, about, you know, eight maybe or something. Uh, So they were married almost 10 years. So it was in my later high school years that they got a divorce. And uh, it's kind of a sad story because... On the one hand, we lived seven miles out in the country, and I was that teenager that always wished I lived closer to my friends because they were always getting together and I felt left out. Mm. So when they divorced, I was excited about moving to town. Isn't that so sad? Um, but my my stepdad, part of the the problems in the home were that he, he just worked all the time and he wasn't there. So it actually took me a little while before I missed him mm-hmm. because we just didn't see him that yeah. much. But after almost a year, um, in fact, I asked him this recently. I don't remember why or what initiated it, but I just suddenly went, I miss my dad. And so I just drove over to a shop and went to go see him. And then we just continued from there. And so it was real sweet. I'm, I'm really glad. He never had... Uh, biological children of his own. Oh, okay. And so my brother and I, you know, are his children, and uh, he's in his 70s now, and I'm really, really grateful for that relationship. Yeah. Really grateful for all my parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really grateful because they've each added something to my life. Yeah, and, and did you have a pretty close relationship with with both of them? I did. Um, I would say growing up, you know, it was definitely my stepdad yes, a little more yeah. because I just saw him more. And um, But then there was things, I'm a lot like my real dad, and a lot of people, when they would see me when I was younger, they said, you look just like your real dad. Mm. Now people tell me I look like my mom, but they always said I looked like my dad. And so, um, and we have a lot of, uh, you know, nerdy tendencies and we laugh <laughs> about it. And we have that in common. And I always say Ben is right in line with us. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I'm grateful. I have a good relationship with all of them. Oh yeah. Nice. That's good. Mm-hmm. So how are you in high school? How was Miss Daphne in school? Troublemaker? Mm. No. Well, it wasn't Miss Daphne. That's so sweet because and I only say that because, um, so it's funny. I was a leader, 
but I was very much a follower. I oh, have okay. to say it that way because I was class president from seventh grade to 12th grade. So mm. I was out there, you know, rallying everybody and wanted to be at the forefront. I was loud. And, and uh, my mom in junior high, she was a junior high math teacher. And so in junior high, she was also the um, cheerleading sponsor. So mm. I tried out for cheerleader. There was only four spots and I was number five. So I didn't make the cheerleading squad. Um, but I was still there and around it because my mom had to stay for practices. Those oh, were all yeah. my friends. And so I learned how to make signs. So I always felt like I was a cheerleader without the uniform. And uh, so I think that helped in student council, you mm -hmm. know, being class president. Um, but I was a follower because I doubted myself. I didn't have a lot of confidence. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely had low self-esteem. I compared myself uh, to a lot of my friends. Um, they all had boyfriends. I didn't have bo a boyfriend. Uh, until um, later in high school. And even then, I think um, I still doubted why was he, why did he even pick me? You know, I just always had these self-doubts and, yeah. and stuff. And so, um, so I think, I, you know, I was definitely friendly. Um, I was definitely outgoing. I was a, a good student. You know, my mom was a teacher, so that helped. And, yeah. and, um, and then my grandparents were both uh, all of my family, actually, if we kind of went through, you know, my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, they were all in education of some kind. Mm. And so my granddad was the first dean at South Plains College in Leveland, and my grandmother was a home ec teacher, and I could just do, go oh, down wow. the line. Yeah. So so I was surrounded by, you know, really uh, a good family unit, yeah. even though there were some misfunctions or dysfunctions. I mean, um, you know, I always felt loved. I always felt accepted. So I don't know where it crept in that Daphne didn't like Daphne, but that, that was my biggest enemy was just mm. myself always. Always yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, same way growing up for sure. That same way. What about, um, when you graduated high school, did you go to college? Did you, I did. So I'm going to back up just a little bit. I had a cousin because I think this plays from high school to, to college, but I had a cousin that was four years older than me. And back then the drinking age was 19. So I got my first fake ID when I was 16. Oh, and, wow. But part of that again was trying to be something, trying, yes. trying to be a part of the crowd, you know, and, uh, and then we lived in a college town. So, you know, it was very easy to be uh, around, mm -hmm. you know, those kind of parties or to be around those that would buy it for you or whatever. And so, um, so when I graduated uh, from high school in Leveland, it was just automatically assumed you're going to go to South Plains College. Yeah. And my granddad um, had the wisdom. I think if he knew the struggles I had, he might have second guessed this one. But he said, you've grown up here. And a lot of the, the students who have grown up here, they tend to stay at home. But I want you to live on campus. I want you to live in the dorms. I want you to experience the whole college life. But I don't think he knew what that meant to experience yeah. the whole college life. Mm. And so, you know, I dove right in and, and got into uh, uh, a lot of drinking scenes. And so um, and then by the time the drinking age changed to 21, you know, my cousin was older, so I had a fake ID again, and I just became good at it. Even if I lost the ID, I could, you know, sneak my way in. Mm. I could tell you some some crazy stories that even I look back and go, really? But I remember them. I, did, you, did you ever get caught? I did. Um, one time, if my sister catches this episode, she'll remember this, that uh, she came to live with me when she was, oh, I think she was maybe, maybe she was like 17, and I was... Um, 20 or something and um, so I convinced her how we could put the mark on our hand and go in and and uh, and they questioned it and wanted IDs and didn't believe that we had you know that we'd already been there and so um, I argued with them and told them 
um, well, you know, I'll go out to my car and get my ID. I just was very bold if I'd been drinking. And so we go out there and as we're walking, she says, what are you going to do? And I said, we're just going to go, um, you know, change clothes and redo our hair and we'll try it again. And it worked. <laughs> we walked right back in. Wow. So I know I was pretty brass back then. <laughs> wow. Some but, crazy tricks right there. Yes, for sure. Yes, yeah. I know. I've seen it all. Yeah. <laughs> or done it or tried it. <laughs> um, at that age too, did you, uh, did you ever try any drugs or anything? So it was just drinking. Yeah, no, mostly drinking. Um, I had some older friends that had began to dabble in drugs, and I don't know why I was not drawn to it, and I'm grateful I wasn't, yeah. but I do remember one particular night being at a bar, and someone offered me something, and I, you know, just not thinking, I took it, and um, it scared me because I don't, I don't think I was awake for like 72 hours, mm. and it was obviously some kind of a speed, but um, but that, it scared me, so yeah. I never wanted to try it again, and I know some people like that. They're adrenaline junkies, so maybe that feeds something for them. Like I'm the opposite. Don't put me on a roller coaster. So I didn't. I didn't care for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like to control it, and so, uh, mm. so no, I never dabbled too much and in that. At that age, were you also still a follower and a leader at the same time? I was, was very yeah. much because I could, I could organize something and get everybody on board, but then I could also be the one that go. I don't want to go tonight. I want to stay home. And they go, come on. And then I'd go. Yeah. It just didn't take much to get me to join. Yeah. No, I, mm-hmm. yeah, I, no, I understand that fully mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, at what age did you uh, meet Pastor Todd? Or what age did you start going to, to church? To church. Well, my my real brother, okay, so I have, um, you know, the one I said, uh, he was an infant when my parents oh, divorced. Yeah. So he's my real brother. Of course, I don't really label him that way, but, um, but I have a... a uh, half brother, I have a stepsister, and um, and then I have two more stepbrothers uh, in my adult life. One of them's passed away, unfortunately. Oh, but um, but anyway, just a blend, very blended family. But Dane was uh, is my real brother, and uh, and so he's the one that I was raised with. Mm-hmm. You know, I never lived in the, in the same home with any of the others, and uh, and he got invited to a youth group when I, I want to say he was about sixteen, so I would have been eighteen. Anyway, um, he got invited to a youth group by a girlfriend. So anyway, he went there and uh, got born again. Wasn't even looking for it, didn't know anything about it. But he was one of those people that got radically saved. And so he immediately came home, wanted to tell us all about Jesus. Wow. Certainly wanted to tell us we we're going to hell without <laughs> Jesus. You know, that that was his soapbox. <laughs> You're all going to hell. Yeah. And and, uh, and I was starting college about that time. He was very worried about me. And, and, and I laugh about it now. It's really not funny at all. But, you know, he would tell me, I was going to hell and I was like I'm having a good time getting there you know I just I just brushed him off yeah and uh and so uh so he so I'm starting college and um I went to two years at South Plains College and then I transferred over to Texas Tech University and at that time during during that season uh our real dad had um gotten a divorce and moved back to Lubbock and so my brother moved in with him Mm. And so uh, when he moved in with our dad, he got my dad saved or rededicated his life. So now they're going to church and it happens to be the church that Todd's dad is the associate pastor at. So my brother and Todd became friends. And uh, one evening I was needing to find my brother and ask, get him something or take, get something from him. I don't know. So I, where are you? You're at the, he's at the church. Meet me there. Okay. And all along, of course, I should have known. I look back now and it was totally a trap. You don't try to get me in the doors <laughs> of the church. But anyway, so I go and, and, uh, and we exchange whatever it was. And he introduced me to Todd and, uh, and then I leave. Well, then Dane, between Dane and my dad, 
I was getting invited to church every Sunday. And you can only make so many excuses before you have to say yes. And so I would say yes, and then I'd find three or four reasons to say no, and then here I'd come again. So very sporadic, but I would go. And uh, so every now and then I would see Todd. And Mm -hmm. I remember one time making a comment to Dane, you know, he's cute or something like that. Well, Dane hatched a plan for us to all go play golf. He, he said, you've got this friend, Misty. I've got this friend, Todd. Let's just go play golf. I had played golf in high school on the golf team. So he thought that would be a nice hook. So I agreed to go. And um, Todd thought that Daphne was going to be radical like Dane. <laughs> and so yeah. Dane had not really told him the whole story of my life. And so, um, so when we go, uh, we, Todd and I still laugh about it because I wasn't saved. Um, I would hit the ball and uh, it would, wouldn't do what I wanted to do. And I'd cuss it out and I didn't hear myself cussing. I always say, you don't hear yourself until you get Jesus on the <laughs> inside of you, you yes. know. Yeah. And, uh, and so Todd wasn't interested in me at all. And I really wasn't interested in him. I did think he was handsome. You know, yeah. I told Dane that. But, you know, when I heard he was a pastor, so I thought, I don't know what that is, but we probably have nothing in common. And so uh, anyway, so we, we didn't actually hit it off at the very beginning. But I had turned 21, uh, celebrated that birthday from February to May, dropped out of college during that time, and I just found myself at the bottom. You know, you mm. can only you can only live in the world so long before it just sucks the life out of yes. you, and that's where I found myself in uh, uh, you know May of 1990 is where where I was, and so I had been going sporadically to church, and I got up one Sunday and I thought. You know, my brother doesn't have a perfect life, but he has a joy that I can't explain. And it must be that Jesus. That's all I could think. I remember thinking, literally thinking this. And so they didn't call me that weekend. But I got up and met him at church. You should have seen their jaws drop. You know, <laughs> she's here. Um, and, And honestly, though, Jeremy, I thought I was saved because I made the decision to go that day. I thought that's what salvation was. And it took me a while to realize uh, because... And, and, and I say that because I think sometimes we see people in the church, and I'm so glad to see them there. But that's being in church. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. It doesn't say if any man be in church, he's a new creation. So, um, so I was going for a bit, and and um, had been going for a while, and I think just the Word of God just working on my heart and layer by layer. I don't I don't know exactly how long I'd been going, but God started working on my heart, and. Um, Todd had, uh, you know, rededicated his life about a year before he had gone off the path, gotten hurt by the church and some different things that I didn't know about. And uh, so he had only been back in the church about a year when when I'm showing up. Mm. And uh, so I had decided to go um, to church this one particular weekend and the pastor asked us, you know, or asked the congregation, you know, uh, uh, does anybody uh, want to get saved? And he's explaining salvation. I had watched this time and time again. And this particular Sunday, I realized I had never done that. And so now I'm wanting to do it. My heart is just beating out of my chest, but I'm embarrassed. My Mm. brother's sitting right here. Todd's like two seats behind me, you know, and I am, you know, attracted to him. So that played a part in uh, you know, my emotions. And so I wrestled with the Holy Spirit sitting in my chair and uh, 
so I missed the whole altar call. <laughs> and oh. then, but then the pastor, he had this routine, and I'm grateful he did, but he had a routine of immediately after that, he would ask if anybody wanted to join the church. And so I finally got up the courage because in my mind, it made sense. Oh, you've been coming a while. It makes sense. Yeah. Everybody will be happy you want to join the church. Of course, everybody knew. Everybody but me knew I wasn't saved. You know, you didn't have to be around me 10 seconds to figure that out. And so uh, anyway, I got saved that day and um, started coming more often, you know, to church, started coming to their uh, Wednesday night services. And where Todd and I really connected was there was a, a Wednesday night that I was leaving the church and I was kind of discouraged actually, because it was hard to still live with roommates that were partying mm, and I yeah. was trying to live a different life, you know? And, um, and so here I was at church feeling friendless and I was leaving after service and it, we just happened to meet at the door, you know, and he was being a gentleman, opened the door for me and, uh, how are you? And I, you know how you do, I'm fine. And he read through that or something. And, uh, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I said, well, you want, you wouldn't understand. And I was planning on just getting in my car and leaving. He's the pastor's kid. You would not understand, right? Mm. And he said, actually, I might. And he challenged me. And we ended up standing in that parking lot under a street light for like three hours at the at, at the back end of my car, just talking. And he wow. shared about how he had rebelled for a while. It turned out we knew a lot of the same people, probably been at a lot of the same parties and our paths had never crossed. Yeah. But that night, he became a friend. Someone that I felt like really could understand what I was struggling with. And it was such an encouragement to me. And it, we were married like six months later. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was quite a journey. I'm going to take you back just a little bit. Yeah, um, I and I know we kind of talked about this earlier, but, you know, I'd heard you were a Miller girl, you know, and of course, back then is way different than what it is now. But, mm -hmm. you know, can you kind of explain um what a Miller girl does or what well, back then? Yeah, no, it was funny because I had when I that season where I had dropped out of college, um, needed a job. I had tried working at a bank for a while and then that didn't work out, needed more money. And I had gotten a job at a temporary agency. I had just seen an ad, applied for it, and they would send you from office to office, you know, whatever the need was in the Lubbock area. And one of the offices they sent me to one time was the Miller Brewing Company. And so I'm working in the office, I'm working behind the scenes, and they, they start this new program. At the time, maybe it was all over in different places in the country, but it really hadn't started up in Lubbock. And, um, and so I'm in, you know, college age anyway, I wasn't yeah. in college at the moment. And so they wanted to start this Miller Girl program where they would send girls into the bars and give away free drinks and try to get everybody on, you know, making Miller their favorite drink. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was that was our assignment, and and we could drink as much as we wanted. So I was all in. I was like, yeah. sure, free beer and a fun night. And so, uh, but I always tease about it because um, uh, about the time that I quit was when spandex came became popular. And so oh. when I started as a Miller girl, it was literally just shorts and a t-shirt that said Miller. And we went and handed out free beer. But uh, I decided, keep in mind, I was still insecure. Yeah. And so when they wanted you to wear tight, you know, Hooter style spandex, if I can describe it that way, I went, I'm out. You're and right. so, yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, our good friend, Dr. Jack, he loves that story. <laughs> he always teases me that I was a Miller girl. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah. I remember hearing it. It's been a long time ago, yeah. but I was trying to, I was telling Andrea about it and we, were, we started talking about it. I was like, I, I know, I know I heard she was a while back, but yeah. I couldn't, wasn't for sure. But yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so you and, you and PT, Pastor Todd, y'all get married six months later. Yeah. How was, uh, how did he propose? Well, 
so it wasn't the best of circumstances. So Todd and I fell deep in, deeply in love very quickly, actually. It was really surprising to both of us. Um, you know, just a couple of months of dating, we just felt like we had met our soulmate, you yeah. know, and um, and we really did believe it was God. You know, mm -hmm. I'm saved. He's saved. He's definitely way more at that time mature than me and uh, still is. I'll give him, you know, props. <laughs> he still still is. But um, but so but I was young in the Lord and then passion just takes over and, and gets the best of you. And so uh, we found ourselves uh, going further in our relationship than we intended to. And even when we crossed the line, we never thought we'd cross. We repented of it, but it was too late. And so, um, you know, I ended up taking a pregnancy test, found out I was pregnant. We had already been talking about marriage. Uh, and I think that's maybe how we justified it in our mind is, yeah. you know, that we're going to get married. And so that makes it okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't, not really. Yeah. And uh, and so our families were, you know, took it very hard. His family, of course, harder than mm -hmm. mine. Uh, just being, knowing, you know, what they know and, and stuff. But um, so that sped up our plans. Um, we actually uh, had set a couple of dates and, and it took a while for us to get a final date set. But when we got married, you know, we, we said for better, for worse, but we didn't know what worse was going to be. Yeah. And we didn't know each other as well as we thought we did. You know, we hadn't, hadn't known each other that well. And so living together now, and then you have the, the hormones and, you know, no money and all of that. And so our first couple of years were very rocky, but I'm grateful for God, because there was a couple of times where, because I was raised with it, um, I, I nobody said it around me, but because I had experienced it, then I would throw out, well, I, I can live without you. Mm. I, I don't need you, you no. know? And so I threw out divorce and he never did, but I threw it out there like, fine. And one day he told me, he said, fine, well, then you'll answer to God, not me. He said that to me. Well, I didn't know enough of the Bible to know if that was true, and I wasn't going to let him off the hook like that. <laughs> so I always laugh and say, God had a good good laugh about that one because, yeah. uh, you know, so so when we were tempted, you know, to throw in the towel, we just didn't. And I feel like the enemy, you know, in different seasons of our life has really sifted us. You know, Jesus told Peter, Satan wants to sift you, and, and I know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so grateful, though, because— my grandmother was a home ec teacher, as I told you, and I watched her sift flour. And mm. the sifting process um, actually makes it finer, actually makes it softer, actually makes it more pliable, actually causes the dough to rise more. And so when the enemy is actually wanting to sift us, it's painful. It's not fun. And some people, you know, uh, uh, Jesus talks about in the Word, you know, about how— um, uh, the wheat and the tares, and, and he's going to separate, and, and you know the tares are going to be burned. Yeah. That that's part of the sifting process. Is there's a part of it that you're going to toss, right? Mm -hmm. But if you make it through the sifting process, you're actually better. He actually got out the chaff. He got out the things that didn't belong, and uh, and there's more of you to work with. And yeah. so I feel like even though I I I've always said there's so much of my testimony that I would never want to go back. And live again, mm -hmm. but I'm so grateful for who I am on this side. Yes, because oh, yeah. of what Jesus has done. Yes, Amen to that for mm -hmm. sure. Oh yeah, um, you know you, you were talking about the first couple of years were pretty rough. Like what kind of trials and what kind of uh, I don't know, just anything that made you want to quit. Yeah, you know I think there were so many things, little things. It, you know it's because I, there was differences. Mm -hmm. You know his family has always been married. Uh, you know. 
his mom and dad celebrated a couple of years ago, 50 years of marriage, which is amazing. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't know that. So he had a point of reference that was different than mine. Mm-hmm. And I remember like dragging him to, you know, four different families for Christmas, you know, where he, we just went to one house for him. And, and so there was little things like that, that would cause a problem. You know, we stayed too long at his house, but you want to hurry away yeah, from my family. But we had to divide our time, mm-hmm. you know, with my family too. And just things we couldn't see or... I had been living on my own for a while, so I felt like I was very, um, you know, prepared to take care of a household where he had, you know, had parents that took care of him and he wasn't out on his own as much as I was. And so yeah. you you had different, you know, uh, different opinions of how to run a house or how to take care of the finances. There was always something. And then even parenting, because, you know, he had been raised by a godly parent. Uh, and so he he had the correct form of discipline, but I had been raised a little bit, not abusive at all, but in my opinion, but, um, but maybe just, you know, not, it was worldly, you know, the way you were disciplined. And so, uh, you know, I had, uh, issues with, is that right? Is that not right? You know? And so anything you could name, you know, we, we had a tug of war about, and then we're just strong personalities. You know, that that's one thing about it is that I always say that um, Todd fills in my gaps and I fill in his mm-hmm. gaps, but we're both strong people. And so, you know, we're stronger together for yes. sure, but but we would clash. And um, I remember one time studying and reading in the Bible about how, um, and you know the story, we all do, but how God created Adam and then it says he took a rib out of out of Adam and created Eve. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he didn't do the same thing. He didn't make yeah. the dirt. And I saw that one day. And of course I had, I think I had, you know, little ones or preschoolers and they're playing with puzzles on the floor. And suddenly I saw that. And I thought, that's exactly what we are. Like a husband and wife are supposed to be a puzzle, but I was watching my preschoolers and they had the right piece and they were trying to put it in the right slot, but they had it turned wrong. Mm-hmm. They were trying to slam that thing in there. And I thought that's Todd and I, like we were the right piece, but <laughs> yeah. for a long time, we just couldn't get our pieces turned correctly, you know, but when we did, it was wonderful. And yeah. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm very thankful for him. Oh yeah. So you were, you were pregnant with, with Ben mm-hmm. at that time. So how was that getting to uh actually see your baby for the first time, actually see Ben, what kind of emotions were going through your head? Yeah. You know, I think just having a a child, the whole process is amazing, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So my family has a long line of redheads and Todd is very dark headed, olive skinned. Um, And so I remember one time my mom, she had a dream that, uh, that Benjamin was going to have red hair and Todd was like, no, he remembers picking on the redheads. (laughs) And so he was like, no. Mm. And so then when Ben was born, we were both so proud. We knew it was a boy. And, uh, and so we're just both so proud, but you know, Todd got to hold him and show the family and he was kind of proud. Like he didn't have red hair, you know, (laughs) and just, he didn't want him to get bullied. Yeah. Yeah. And then they took him back and they started washing him, you know, and here comes this, you know, red tint to his hair. And Todd was like, too late. I already love him, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so I think uh, I bring that story up, though, only because um, there was still a lot of healing that needed to take place in our family. And so the thought crossed more than one person's mind you know, whose child is this? Mm, And I hate that. I hate that for me. I hate that for Todd. I hate that for Ben that anybody ever asked that. And, um, but I was born with red hair. It turned blonde when I was three. My brother still has auburn hair. My mom is whiteheaded now, most that know her, but, uh, she was redheaded, you know, her entire life. And, and her parents are, uh, her mom was Indian, uh, Mm. part Indian. So, um, you know, she grew up thinking the same thing. And I think that's where we have to understand where some things are passed down from generation to generation. You know, I listened to my mom and 
And, um, you know, she had an older sister that was the cheerleader that was olive complected, dark headed, you know, like her, their mother. And then, you know, she remembers asking her mom one time, where did I come from? Mm. You know, she had freckles and red hair and she's beautiful, but she questioned her own yeah. identity. And I think somewhere, you know, those seeds get planted in us. And I know that um, you didn't ask me this question, but I just feel like if anybody's dealing with that, like that I began to pray that over my own children. When I began to see my weaknesses, um, and I didn't fully understand the full word of God, but I thought, Lord, I don't want them to struggle like I did. Yes, I yeah. want them to know you, and I want them to know who they are. And I'm so grateful. They've had their own struggles, but I'm so grateful that they didn't go through the same things. Mm. And I know my mom prayed that. My brother and I were just talking recently, like, you know, just so thankful for our families and our heritage. And we both said it almost at the same time. It's mom's prayers. <laughs> we just knew our yeah. mom. Pray. So moms can pray that you see your weaknesses and you pray mm -hmm. those things for your children. So, oh, yeah. And um, what about the struggles with being a leader and a follower? Was that still kind of something that you were still kind of dealing with at that time? Or did it when you got saved, was that something that... Uh... No, I think it's something I still deal with even today, mm -hmm. you know, because there's a part of you that you know that, and I, I can understand now and call it an anointing, like it calling, you know, on my life, part of what God's put in me to lead, to want to speak up. But I also see in the Word of God, like where it says, uh, you know, not to be a gap filler. And so sometimes I'm just a gap filler because I'm just trying to, yes, you know, yeah. do something and really I'm not supposed to. So... Sometimes it's hard for a leader to step back and be a follower um, so that there's a weakness yeah. there. And then other times when you see a direction you ought to go, but you want to give somebody the opportunity to lead, even if they fail, you know, you're following. Um, and then there's still those times, I think, where uh, especially in, in the world and what we're seeing today, I, I've struggled with it a little bit. I think I've, I've gained a lot of confidence, so I, I won't say that it's a... a a big problem, but I see it in the world right now that people start to step out and speak up for truth and righteousness, and then one critic, and they back mm -hmm. up and apologize. Yeah. And it's like, listen, you might can reword that or explain, you know, so that they understand, yes. but you don't need to retract. Not not if it's truth, not if it's going to help somebody, not if it's righteous, mm -hmm. you know. And so, but but I, I understand that struggle. Yeah. Um, whenever you when you first had been. How was that? How was the, how was the marriage after that? How was your life after that? Did you have any? I'm pretty sure you still had some kind of trials going, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So we have a neat story. Um, it, it's just a vivid memory for me, anyway. So when when Todd and I were really struggling the most, um, I was praying, trying to pray. Again, keep in mind, I'm, I've been saved a year, maybe, yeah. you know. So a very young Christian. So to me, a Christian goes to church, a Christian reads their Bible, a Christian prays. So I was trying to do those things and, and probably a lot out of works more than anything. But but I was definitely doing those things. Well, Todd, uh, you know, he he had some medical issues at that time. He had hurt, injured his back and, and he would work all day and then just his only relief was to lay on his back. So sometimes I went to church by myself, you know, and so mm -hmm. I would hold that over his head, you know. We had these riffs going on. And I remember it getting so bad one time that I, I prayed, you know, just wanting out, just wanting out, but wanting, how do you do it godly? Like, I didn't know. And um, and, and he had kind of insinuated that, that God wasn't a fan of that, and I hadn't read enough of the Bible to know the truth, you know. And so I remember praying one time, and, and I feel like, not an audible voice, but I felt like the Lord said, be the best wife, the best mom, and the best Christian you know how to be, and I'll give you the desire of your heart. 
Jeremy at that time, and it sounds so silly now, but but at that time, the desire of my heart was out of this pain, out of this friction. I just want out, you yeah. know. And so Ben was very little. Being the best mom was not hard. I wasn't the best mom, but you did the best you could, so that qualified. And then being the best Christian, I wasn't the best Christian, but I did the things that I thought you were supposed to do, and so that qualified. Being the best wife was the one that was hard because how do you do that when this is what you want out of? Mm. And uh, and so what I did is I got quiet. I it, it wasn't that I gave Todd the silent treatment or I didn't talk to him, but I just stopped nagging. I stopped saying anything. I thought, okay, God, then you do this. Yeah. And so I just started doing what I thought a best wife would do. I did the laundry without complaint. I picked up, you know, the dirty clothes. I I picked up after him or whatever it was that I would have normally been like, why can't you do this? Why yeah. can't you help? Or whatever, you know, a wife would nag about. I just stopped. I just started doing it. And I didn't know it at the time. Um, and I want to throw this in because it's parallel. But, you know, when, when I started doing that, Todd said he felt convicted. You know, not that he was an awful guy, but he just thought, you know, he, he would get in there with, you know, we would push each other's buttons. Mm-hmm. So when I stopped pushing his buttons, he was like, well, then I need to do something nice for her, you know? So here we were trying to do nice things for each other and and with the wrong intent, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. But very vividly, I remember that Benjamin had to at least, you know, be a couple years old, uh, not much older than that because he was still kind of in a high chair, but he was feeding himself. But I remember where we were sitting, almost like this, like Todd was there and I was here and Ben was in his high chair. And, uh, and we were sitting there eating and it was like I had been wearing sunglasses and all of a sudden the sunglasses came off right in the middle of dinner. I remember it. And the Lord said, I've given you the desire of your heart. We were sitting there laughing. Ben was doing something. I could not remember the last time that I was angry at him. I couldn't remember it. I hate to say it this way, but the last time I thought I hated him, like all of a sudden I thought, I don't hate him. And what is the true desire of my heart? To not be a broken family. Yeah. You know, that's what I'd come out of, even though they did the best with what you know, they had in their circumstances. I, I didn't want to repeat that. I really wanted to be the family that stayed together. And so things weren't perfect after that, but we had a new goal and I realized it was possible. And so um, I think too often we, we try to fix things on a horizontal mm, yeah. uh, basis when we need to be fixing it on a vertical basis and yeah. then let God do the horizontal. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So yeah. that, that was a big turning point for our marriage. Oh wow. That's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. so good. I, I'm pretty sure people are going to yeah. hear that and just like, that's, that's what I need to hear for sure. Good. That's so good. Um, after that, um, how old were you when you had, let's say, um, cause after that was Chris. Yes. And then yeah. Emily. So Ben and Chris are five and a half years apart. So after that story, it was just a, uh, not even two years, maybe just a year that we moved to Oklahoma to go to Bible school. Oh, that's now, right. I didn't yeah. go to Bible school, but Todd did. But I went and helped support the family, and I got very involved. So I always say I went on the backside of Rama and learned everything. But um, but I had always wanted lots of kids. Todd had always wanted one. And so mm. uh, so I was always, you know, wanting another child, wanting another child. But the timing, you know, financially, or now we're going to school or whatever. And so it was in uh, the end of his second year, he was going to be graduating in 96 that I found out I was pregnant. So we moved back to Texas after he graduated uh, and I was pregnant with Christopher. He was born in November. So they're about five and a half years apart. So Ben started kindergarten and a couple of months later, Chris was born. And a cute story about that, uh, Ben, I got a phone call from the, the school one day that uh, he was sick and I 
hadn't noticed that he had any symptoms. So I ran down there. I pick him up. I bring him home. He still looks okay to me. But I have a newborn baby. So I fixed him a sandwich, laid him down. I said, Mom's tired. I'm going to lay down with the baby. We're going to take a nap. And about 30 minutes in, this just shows Ben's heart. It's been this way since he was little. But he woke me up and tapped me on the shoulder. And he's crying. And my first reaction was, you know, he's sick. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, are you okay? And he goes, no, I just, I lied. I, I, I just wanted to see what y'all were doing all day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I hugged him. I said, hey, well, this is what we're doing. Mom and baby are sleeping. And he was like, I'd rather be at school. So anyway, but. Yeah. Uh, but no, so they became close friends for, you know, a few years. And then, of course, the age gap, mm-hmm. you know, high school to junior high got wider and wider. I think I think Ben started uh, junior high when Chris started kindergarten. So I know your yeah. your kids are kind of spread out. Pretty, too, pretty, so you, yeah, so you seven understand years, that. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So and then there's nine years between Benjamin and Emily. So Emily, yeah. uh, we were already living in Seminole and uh, we were wanting another child. And, uh, but Todd is a second generation boy family. His, his dad only had brothers. He only had brothers. And at this point we, we've only got two sons. And so I really wanted a girl, but uh, we didn't know we were having a girl until she was born. So that, that was oh, kind wow. of a fun surprise yeah. to add Emily to the family. Did you, uh, did you pray for a girl? I did. did I did. So a, a fun story is, so we're pastoring now in Seminole and uh, we're probably running about 30, 40 people, very small congregation. Todd is preaching on faith and I'm sitting on the front row where I usually do. And he's just all into his message and, and he needs an example. And so he looks at me and he says, so for example, like, what's the desire of your heart? Just give me any desire of your heart. Like, that's how he says it to me. So I said, a girl. <laughs> and literally his face turned white, like that example. <laughs> like what? So he used that example in his whole message. And afterwards he was like, are you serious? You had to use that example. Well, we announced we were pregnant probably within two months. And so the whole church was like, think pink, think pink. And he was like, God better come through with a girl. (laughs) So we've always laughed about that. But yeah, yeah, I did. I I asked him, I said, I'm, I'm close to my mom and my grandmother and I, I would love to pass that on. Oh yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Yes. Um, when did y'all come over here to Seminole? When, what, what, when was that desire actually put on pastor Todd? And then when he, I don't know if you had the same desire too to move over here and open up a church, but what was your reaction? There, there's to that? kind of two parts to that story. So we were actually on the team that started the church in Seminole in May of 1998. So we were actually uh, on volunteer staff with Pastor Bracken at the time. I might have been on paid staff because I was his secretary for a, for a while, um, and so yeah, actually I know I was at that time because of the time span, but. Um, so I'm working for Pastor Bracken. Todd is working another job, but he is volunteering everywhere. He volunteered in prayer and healing school. He was a head usher. Just anything he could do, he was at the church. Yeah. And so, um, but I was a secretary there when we started the church. So we joined the team to come to Seminole, get it started. You know how you do, and you come every Sunday. You know for a few weeks, and so that was really fun for us. So we got a taste of that. Well, Pastor Bracken asked Pastor Todd. Um, if he would help out in Seminole teach uh, a Bible study. The pastor's wife, over the summer, the church was started in May, over the summer, um, she had been in remission of cancer and it showed back up. So by the oh. end of summer, it, it had come on very viciously and, and she was not doing well. She did pass away in November of that same year. So it was around that time that Pastor Bracken was sending people to go help the church, you know, do Wednesday night Bible studies, things like that. So Todd had the chance to drive back and forth and kind of get a taste of Seminole. And uh, so when she passed away, 
uh, Todd came to me right away, you know, with the news and we were just heartbroken. We loved that couple very much. Uh, but he said, I feel like the Holy Spirit said, we're going to go to Seminole. Well, I immediately was like, that is sacrilegious. Like, you know, like I was like resistant, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you know, I just couldn't picture it. And I was sad, you know, for my friend and, and stuff. And so that was in November. And uh, he just sat on that. He never said another word to me. And I never brought it up again, uh, even though this is what we wanted to do. We wanted, you know, but we didn't pursue it. And so the pastor stayed on uh, trying his best, you know, mm. wanting to do what he felt called to do. But it was difficult now that he didn't have his wife and he was far from, you know, his regular family and stuff. And so um, Pastor Bracken came to us uh, early March, I believe it was, and said, he's he's going to resign. And I, I would like, I've prayed about it. I would like you two to be the pastors. When he said that, I knew. I just knew we were supposed to. Todd already knew. He'd no. been praying over it and being prepared. And that was the time in the season when he was praying, well, Lord, if you send me to Seminole, what is your vision for Seminole? And God, during that time, he has journals where he just prayed things out for Seminole. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I was definitely on board by then and uh, never looked back. I grew up in a small town, so I was happy to come to a smaller town to yeah. raise our kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What was one of the hardest things about moving over here and even maybe pastoring the church? Well, I think one, I didn't know, uh, you know, what it what it looked like or what it meant to be a pastor's wife. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so I remember particularly uh, Todd, you know, had a lady in the church who wanted counseling, and he called me and said, "You have an appointment on Thursday or whatever," and I was like. I didn't go to Rama. <laughs> like, yeah, I thought that was the qualification. Yeah. He was like, but you're a woman. And I was like, well, I don't know what to tell her. And he's like, well, pray about it, God. Just listen to her and, you know, and pray with her. That they, they just need encouragement. And so he really pushed me out there. And uh, so I remember praying about it. And then I sat down with her and she's talking and I, I'm listening to her. But I'm really like, I, what am I, what am I going to tell her? Like, yeah. I felt very unqualified. And the Lord kept whispering to my heart, tell her what I did for you. And so uh, she finishes talking and I said, well, I just feel like the Lord wants me to tell you a little bit about my, my story for a minute. And so I start telling her and, and, and it'll fit in here because we, we didn't really talk about it. But, you know, I got saved at the age of 21 and then I, you know, had Benjamin and then we had this rocky marriage. And about when Ben was a, somewhere around the age of two, I was really, really struggling, not just with the marriage, but just everything. And uh, one day I was in my bathroom getting ready and Todd had taken Ben, you know, wherever we were supposed to meet up. I don't remember now, but I was alone at the house and, and hurrying to go meet up with them. And standing in front of my mirror, I felt like the Lord said, look in your mirror, look real close. And so I did expecting to see something wrong, honest, like just I need to fix something. Something's out of place. But there was something else there with me in the bathroom that day. And um, I always tell people, I don't know if you would have heard it, but I heard it in me. I heard look closer, look into your own eyes. And so I did, and I got up real close to my mirror. And when I did, the Lord just said, now tell her you love her and you forgive her. And that, that was the problem. It wasn't that God didn't love me. It was that Daphne didn't love me. Mm. And all of the other little things came back to the root of, I didn't love me. And I felt like a failure in every area. And I just cried and cried and cried. And I finally said those words, and the Lord didn't let me off the hook say it again. And I just looked at this girl. I mean, for a little bit, it felt like I wasn't looking at me. I was looking at someone I really had compassion for. I could see that she wanted to do better. I could see that she tried. I, I could see that she was embarrassed and ashamed. But I could also see, it was like I was seeing her also through the eyes of love. 
that it's okay. Like you would tell anybody, it's okay, you know, and I wanted to pick her up, but it was me. It was me in my mirror <laughs> and I wanted to hug her and love her. And so that second time, I think I really did forgive her. I, I really did let it go. And so that's the story that God always says, if he ever says, tell her what I did for you, that that's the story. And so I told that lady that day and to my surprise, it helped her. I mean, it, I don't even remember what her problem was, but she left there so encouraged. You know, we prayed together. And so that was the early part of my journey. Well, then there was a women's ministry and they had always, you know, gotten together and had a speaker and it was usually the pastor's wife. And so they're nudging me out there like, you're going to speak, right? And I'm like, how did I get myself yeah. into this? And so I prepare, prepare, prepare. And I, you know, you'd have to ask some of the ladies that have been here a long time, you know, how that was. But I was cutting my teeth on confidence and on trust and on God's word and trusting that his word would be enough. Mm. And uh, so grateful I didn't see myself in ministry the way that I am today. I just was going to go be a help. I was strong in administration. I was happy to work behind the scenes. And uh, and God just kept pushing me a little further, a little further. A little further. Mm -hmm. Man, yeah, I remember even, I think we started going, I think I started going in 2007. I believe, mm -hmm. and um, I had no idea what I was getting into going over there to, to Family Harvest back then. Mm -hmm. In 2008 of May is when I got saved, but even after that, I remember going up to Pastor Todd and just like, I had questions about everything. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was going on, and then we got to know you personally, and man, like, um, I know I'm kind of, I'm going way ahead. You're fine. Um, your book, Take a Closer Look. That mm -hmm. was that was the first title. The, yes, mm -hmm. and that's where I was going to ask, did you get it from from when God spoke to yes. you? Like, and yes. that book blessed me. Mm -hmm. um, I remember just, you gave it to me to read, mm -hmm. and I kind of just set it off, just put it off like, I'm not going to read it, I'm not going to read it. It's a girl's book. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? To me, if it was a girl's book or not, mm -hmm. like... It made me take a closer look. It made me realize, like, I still had stuff inside mm -hmm. that I needed to take out. Mm -hmm. So that book, that book blessed me so much. I just wanted to thank you. I know I've thanked yeah. you before, but I yes. was I was thinking on the way out here. Do you remember for a season I had uh, arm armbands printed up that said, "I'm the righteousness of God yes. in Christ." And yes. I remember you got one of the first ones. You wore it all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure until it just broke. Yeah, it, yeah, it broke. Yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> but Take a Closer Look is actually the same book I have now, Facing the Mirror. Mm. So, but that was the first title. I didn't yes. know what I was doing because to kind of piggyback that, I was at uh, Pastor Bracken's wife, Miss Donna, um, had always hosted a women's conference in Lubbock, brought a guest speaker in. And the first year that I'm a pastor's wife, she says, you know what, let's go to Rio Dosa, all bring our churches and we'll all be the speakers. And I was mortified. I thought, what am I going to say? And the Lord said, tell him what I did for you. So I did that at my turn and, uh, and saw God just ministering to people through that message. And he whispered in my ear, if you'll write it down, I'll put it in the hands of people you'll, you'll never meet. Well. And I thought, what? <laughs> you know, a girl from Seminole. It took me 18 months to obey. Then it took me 18 months to actually write the book. I didn't know what I was doing. So, uh, so it came out in 2003. So it wasn't very old, you know, when, yeah, when I met yeah. you. But um, in 2012, 
I rewrote it because I had learned a lot more. I felt like I'd become a better writer. I started going to writers' conferences. I was certainly a you know more studied. Mm-hmm. Um, I had started a blog back then, and so I just had. Um, you, you have to practice your skill, even yes. if it's an anointing on your life. You have to keep doing it and keep putting your hand to it. And so, um, and then you know we'd had. Uh, things that I had seen in my family and seen with other people that would help identify that this issue. And I love your story because, you know, that was why I, the cover of take a closer look was black. I didn't want it to look girly. I knew it was going to have my name on it. I wanted everything that I wanted about it was so that it would be for believers mm-hmm. and not be, you know, gender based. Uh, but we rewrote it in 2012 under the new title seemed to make sense facing the mirror, you know, it was a better title. So, uh, and just better. And we added more to it. So, yeah. 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 Man. Yeah. That was so awesome. It was very awesome. Thank you. It blesses me to hear that. Oh yeah. And man, we still have that book. I think I've even told people about it, but I, I still use take a closer look. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't use facing the mirror, Right, but but no, I know we've, we've told people about that. And, um, and I know I'm still going ahead of, ahead of everything, but even when, Andrea and I needed help. You, you've always been there. You know, you and Pastor Todd have always been there. And I know some people may think that y'all are never there. Y'all are kind of just away from the sheep. I, no, they're not. They, they, I guarantee you, they pray for you. They're there for you whenever you need them. All you have to do is just call and ask, and they'll always be there. You know, I just wanted to put that out there. But um. Can I share a scripture? Yes. Because I was praying on the way here, and you had kind of told me, you know, we'll see where this goes. And I was praying, and the Lord reminded me of a scripture. And this version, I think, will really bless you. It answers some of that that you just said. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, now, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is my favorite scripture, which says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. But, you know, scripture and verse is layered. And so chapter 6, verse 1 picks up that same thing, and it's just talking about then we as ministers, we don't take his grace in vain. I'm kind of paraphrasing. But we get down just a couple of verses, and he starts talking about what it looks like to be in the ministry and to do this. And so one of my favorite scriptures, I'm going to read it in the New King James, and I want to read it to you over here. But it talks about how uh, the word of truth, the power of God, and the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And it talks that it, when you read it in the Amplified, it talks about how on the right hand to attack and the left hand to, def- to defend. Mm. And I feel like that's been the mantra of my life. You know, I was I was learning how to attack the Satan yes. and I was learning how to defend my, you know, myself and grow in Christ and all this. But uh, the scripture, as I was praying on the way out here, it dropped in my heart and I, I looked it up. You know, I just want to look at it again. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go see what it says over here. And, um, and so I looked it up in the passion, which is kind of a new favorite right now. And, uh, and so this is, this is what it says in verse, starting in verse four, Paul said, yet as God's servants, we prove ourselves authentic in every way. For example, we have great endurance in hardships and in persecutions. We don't lose courage in a time of stress and calamity. We've been beaten many times, imprisoned, and found ourselves in the midst of riots. We've endured many troubles, had sleepless nights, and gone hungry. We've had to prove ourselves by our lifestyles of purity, by our spiritual insights, by our patience, and by showing kindness, by the spirit of holiness, and by our uncritical love for you. And we have tried to show ourselves faithful to you by our truthful teachings, by the power of God working through us, and with the mighty weapons of righteousness, a sword in one hand and a shield in the other. Amid honor or dishonor, 
slander, or praise, even when we are treated as deceivers and imposters, we remain steadfast and true. We are unknown nobodies whom everyone knows. We are frequently at death's door, yet here we are, still alive. I want to say still here 20 years later, still plowing. We've been severely punished, yet not executed. We may suffer, yet in every season we are always found rejoicing. We may be poor at times, but we bestow great riches on many. We seem to have nothing at times, yet in reality, we possess all things. And I love that. So I didn't know where that was going to play in, but but I think that's, I appreciate that you see that. And we know that there's critics and we know that the ministry invites that. And and I have grieved over that, if I can speak to it. You know, um, that was one of the things that you asked, how was it in the early years of ministry? Todd had been raised somewhat in the ministry, had a, a pretty good handle of what he thought he needed to do, but mm-hmm. we were young. We were 29 years old. Oh, so yeah. that, that's, that's very young in yes. the big scheme of things. And, uh, and then I'm a worker. That's just who I am. And so I, I would almost to a fault, you know, be at the church 24 seven. And Todd had the wisdom to go, we have to slow down. Mm-hmm. We don't want to lose our kids. Yeah. We're going to be home and we're going to shut we're going to shut off ministry for a minute and we're going to be mom and dad right yes. now. Oh, and yeah. he would push that and I would push back. And, and that's how that was. But I'm so grateful that we became a team and we figured out what that looked like. But, but if there was any grief that I had, I told you one of the hardest lessons was that I couldn't choose for other people. One of our hardest lessons also is that I couldn't save everyone, you know, including the ones that, that we hurt unintentionally yeah. or whatever. I think one of the things that hurt me is that if someone was ever a critic, that it hurt me to that they didn't know my heart, mm. that they assumed that that would be our intent. Yes. If they were hurt, I'm so sorry, but it wasn't our intent to hurt you or it wasn't our, our intent for you to feel that way or, or whatever. And, uh, and so it's just taken all these years. I still oh, feel yeah. that, but I've also had to learn that people are people and the enemy is the enemy. And we're all at different places. And so I just have to say steadfast and faithful and and trusting, trust yes. God. And then obviously always praying and, and doing what he leads me to do. But I used to worry, Jeremy, I guess is what I'm going to say. I've dropped the worry. I used to worry about people. What about this? What about that? What yeah. about? And now, right now, in the middle of all this COVID, boy, you can really worry. Where is oh, everybody? Yeah. Like, yes. do, Are they okay? You know, we're not getting to see them regularly. I had to learn to cast that care. God, you are God of all mm-hmm. and you see all and you love all and you can quicken me in an instant oh, and yeah. tell me where to go or what to call or whatever. And I've tried to be sensitive to that. I'm sure I miss it sometimes, but. No, I, I agree, you know, um, and I've always felt too, is like, man, if if I can't lead my family, how am I supposed to lead everybody else? And mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like that's where people fail to realize, like, look where your family's at right now. Mm-hmm. Ben is a, pa- a pastor. In Lubbock, mm-hmm. Chris is a pastor here. Emily going to Raymond, she is doing amazing over there. So a man like if they would just realize, like, look what the ministry, look what God has done for my family, and now look what God is doing here at the church. They just have to see that, and I, mm-hmm. I believe that that they miss that sometimes. Like, no, like they need to be at home too. Like they have they have kids. They need to raise their family right, mm-hmm. or else 
Mm-hmm. Things are going to go wrong here, you yeah. know. And that's what Todd brought to the table, to be honest with you, because he had been around that. Mm. He had seen enough ministers that just were all in, but then he saw behind the scenes, and yeah. he saw the kids ignored, and the kids didn't understand, and how how can God be so great when I don't feel loved, and I don't, Dad doesn't go to my games or do anything. Exactly. And we made some hard decisions. I'm sure some people weren't a fan that we took off for every kid's game, like out of here. <laughs> we're, we're on the road. We're going to Monahans or wherever. But we went to every one of them. Like we, if we could get there, we went to concerts, you know, that Ben did and marching bands and, and heavy metal oh, you yeah. know, stuff and all kinds of things. And, and as much as we could, you know, yeah. oh, because yeah. we just wanted to show that support and, yes. and I'm grateful. And it was a nice release to us too, because it made us be better pastors because then you could come back and really pick it back up and be like, okay, you know, but you had to, you have to have those times where you recalibrate. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you look at where you're at now, look at the church now, super big. And man, I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of that, you know, to start off where we were family harvest in this small little building to now it's like, wow, even got your own, like the children's building is amazing. You know, like I'm very proud of you and pastor Todd, you know, it's, well, it's been a team effort, and I have yes. to say I'm just as proud of you and Andrea, or and we could name a dozen other families just like yours, where it's been so fun. I There was a pastor we met one time uh, that had been at that time in ministry 20 years. So this was 20 years ago, so now they've been in ministry a long time. But he told us it pays to stay. We both remember him saying that to us. We didn't think of that as financial. Mm-hmm. We saw it as there's a reward for staying. You're going to want to quit, but there's a reward if you stay. And I'll tell people today— that it is not that, you know, we have a bigger salary since there's a bigger church or any, it's nothing tied to that. The reward is y'all. The reward is to see, because I remember when you came in, mm-hmm. you know, to the church. I remember when I could tell you where you were sitting, what back row y'all sat oh, yeah. on, you know, and and, uh, and to see you as leaders now and sowing into the next generation. That There's no greater reward. Oh, yes. When Paul definitely. said that, it, there's no greater reward than to see my children walking in truth. Yes. I'm like, I get that. Yeah. It's, it's very rewarding. Oh, yeah. And it's the same way in youth, you know, to see... Like uh, to see people, students that came in that were very quiet at sixth grade and to see them as leaders when they're in high school, you're like, wow, that's a big change, but it's a blessing. Yes. And I think that's why we're still there as well, you know, Mm -hmm. because we've kind of thought maybe, maybe, you know, maybe we should leave, maybe not. Mm -hmm. But then again, it's like, like, do we really want to leave? Like, look what's happening here. So, and I, and I know maybe it's like that with leaders there, Mm -hmm. but, but no, yeah, I'm, well, I think um, there's a lot of great ministries out there. I want to say that because there's a lot of pe- places I would like to visit. Like I just see them. I'm friends with them. I'm like, oh, man, that looks awesome. They, I, I love to hear him or whatever. And I think just like anybody uh, in a family, you can get tired of hearing the same voice. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that's one of the things that we face in the ministry is that, you know, it's not that we've heard anybody. They just want to hear somebody else. You yeah. know, they want to. And uh, but I think sometimes if we're not careful, you know, that's also, you know, how people fall away and they don't even realize it. I have this thing, you know, I teach the membership class and, and pastors always teased me in such a long class, but I, I want to put a foundation in people, oh, yeah. you know, so yeah. it's like 12 weeks of just foundational things. But I have an illustration in there that if a faithful person, uh, you know, a regularly attended uh, church, but missed one Sunday a month for a whole year, that's 12 Sundays a month. That's not much. One Sunday a month, they're there three Sundays. But I use that illustration to say, but if you took those 12 Sundays and you put them in a row, that would be three months. 
And we would be worried about somebody that missed church for three months, wouldn't we? Mm. And so we don't realize the subtle tactics of the enemy, even if it is, I'm just going to go visit this this one over here, yeah. and I'm going to go visit this one over here. And then pretty soon, I'm not serving in any of these places, so I think I can sleep in today. And just little by little, we get detached from the body of Christ. It's not that we've lost our salvation, but we may have lost our influence. We may have lost our stamina. And if we start losing those things, what else can he slip in? Yes. He's he's a master of disguise, and, and so that's where I get nervous for people, mm. you know. So just always praying. Oh, yeah. Um, I know sometimes, you know, you have uh, people that label different pastors, like, for instance, people label you as the righteous pastor. Um, and I don't like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like, like, why why put labels? Like, cause to me, I feel like you're you're everything. Like, you can preach on whatever you, you would, whatever God would put on your heart, and like, you would do amazing at it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, but um, where did that righteous come for you? How, why is that, I guess, so strong in your heart? And why do people see that like so strong in your well, heart? Well, I th- I, I've never actually heard that righteous pastor. I, I, I would assume it just means righteousness, you know, since that's the topic that I tend to yes. talk about. Pastor always says that. But it actually, um, you know, when God told me to forgive myself, love myself, then, then that was a journey, just me and God. But then we started, you know, he started going to Bible school. I... From then on, I was always reading my Bible. I wanted to read. I wanted to learn more. And I don't remember particularly like in a church service or whatever. I know I must have been hearing it. I must have been reading about righteousness. But it's such a big word. It was just flying over my head. But it was actually uh, when we started the church, I had a heart for new believers. I had been a new believer, you know, uh, as an adult. And so I had a heart for them. And we had gone to a continuing education seminar at Ramah. And they brought out this book that they, they used, you know, for new believers. And I said, Todd, can I teach this? You know, and, and I was growing in confidence, mm-hmm. but it really wasn't me confident as a teacher as much as I just wanted to help the new believers, you know, give them something because I knew I struggled yeah. like anything I can give them. So we're doing this Bible study. It was called uh, Getting a Grip on the Basics. And we're doing this Bible study and I would sit with about 12 people. We just turn the page and read it and answer the questions. You know, it was very basic. It was very good, very, very basic. But literally in that class one day, uh, the book talked about uh, who we are in Christ. It gave the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And then, now, and keep in mind, let me back up. When, after I had forgiven myself, it didn't take long for me to make a mistake and want to slip right back into the old ways, right? So the Holy Spirit said two things to me. He said, uh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He would whisper that to me. I recognized that that was a scripture somewhere. I didn't know where it was. It's Romans 8, 1, but I didn't know. And then he would whisper, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. I'd hear that. And, and I remember, you know, I, I, I don't know what I'd done one day, but I remember being back in the bathroom. That's where you go hide. When you're a young mom, you hide in the bathroom. Yeah. And I was hiding in the bathroom. I was mad at myself about something. And the Holy Spirit's whispering these things to me. And I so wanted to pick up that guilt, that condemnation, that anger. I wanted to quit on everything. And he wouldn't let me. And he was just whispering that and, and speaking that to me until I started saying it. And so I had whispered these things to myself. And I had said for a long time, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'd read it in the Bible, but it went over my head. It was just something the Holy Spirit comforted me with. So we're in this Bible study and she has the definition and it's right standing with God, the ability to stand before God as if you'd never sinned. And it just, now I believed it, but I thought I would have never said that. No. 
if I had a thought, if I had known that was the definition, because I didn't believe it at the time. I didn't, be- I, I knew my sin. I was very aware of my sin, wanted to condemn myself for my sins, you know. And uh, so right then, boy, I got on a, I just got on a journey. I started looking up every scripture and I found out, you know, it's like, you know, 253 times in the Bible, the word righteousness. I started putting that definition in every scripture that I read and the word of God just opened up. And that's when I, when the Lord said, I want you to write it down. I'll put it in that. And so I had the start of a book that I didn't know he wanted me to write. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, man, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So it just became a favorite word. It yeah, just became just, it just became what I could see. I yes. saw it throughout the scriptures. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. You also have a podcast as well. Yes. What What made you want to uh, to start that? I don't think I wanted to. So what happened was um, everything goes back to this book. So uh, Angie Gonzalez, good friend of mine, she uh, had started reading uh, "Facing the Mirror" or "Take a Closer mm. Look." I think it was "Facing the Mirror" by them. And uh, so she was reading it and she was just getting loads of revelation. And she already is just, she just has all kinds of neat revelation. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've always loved about her is we can get to the same conclusion, but she says it different and it, and it just sharpens me, you know. So she would call me or text me and tell me something else she got out of the book, you know, and, and hoop and holler about it. And I was like, yes, that's what I wanted her to get out of it. But she said it different than I would say it. So, um, so I had been following a, a blog and a podcast by Michael Hyatt. He uh, at one time was the um, CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, which was the number one Christian bookseller at that time. And so I was, you know, I had a book out. I was wanting to know how to market it, and he had all this kind of stuff. Well, so he had uh, a lot of teachings on on his blog about how to start at that time, start Twitter, how to get followers on Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. these kind of things. And so one of the things that he had was how to start a membership website and something jumped in me about that and he he had these master classes and I signed up for them and so anyway I watched one of them and it really dropped in me uh, to do something along those lines but I kept hearing Angie's voice so I call Angie I said Angie come over here and I want you to watch this with me so I said I'm not gonna tell you anything I want you to watch it and see what you think and so I want I was testing the water so she (laughs) she watched it and she was like yeah like and so we actually ended up not doing that but God put us together. So we're talking about that, this thing this, that we didn't even know. It was too technical for us. We didn't, we didn't know what that was going to look like. But, I, but we're talking. I said, why don't we just get together and pray? You know, I, I just so love you, Angie. Let's just get together and pray. And so we started doing this. Every week we'd get together and we'd just spend an hour together. I think she worked nights and so we could get together in the middle of the day. And so we would pray like once a week. And then we would just talk and talk and talk about righteousness or whatever. And one day I said to her, I said, you know, if we could record these conversations, I know it would help people. Mm. Like sometimes it's not, they don't know how to get the meat out of the word. Yeah. We're talking about the word, but we're talking about it like people, just talking about how we're applying it to our lives every day. And that's actually, we started praying it out. And, uh, and so I still have the journal um, where we prayed out the name, we prayed out how, and then the coolest thing of this whole story is that, Two parts. Michael Hyatt then did a master class on how to start a podcast. I had never thought about it, but how else are you going to get these conversations recorded, right? And then about the time, I'm like, Angie, I think we're supposed to do a podcast. How do we do a podcast? She's really not technical. And I'm like, I don't know. And I am technical. (laughs) So I'm like learning it. And then uh, one of my partners, because I had always had partners to help me sew books uh, and give them out to prison ministries or wherever, you know. Uh, a partner uh, at that time maybe gave, you know, $50 a month or something, which was huge. And I was so grateful for it. They called me one day and they said, the Lord put it on my heart to give you $5,000. Could you use $5,000? Wow. 
Now, anybody could use $5,000, but they were testing to see for the ministry. Is there something? And I had just priced, uh, and there was two things. I had just priced the podcast equipment with two co-hosts, and it was going to be about $2,600. At the same time that God told me that, he told me to go to a writer's conference, which ended up publishing all three books that I have now. But that step to that writer's conference, it was in North Carolina, and the whole thing, by the time I did it, was going to be another $2,000. And so right then, tithed and paid for both of those, and a podcast got launched, and books got published, and God's faithful. Yes, very, yes. <laughs> and be faithful. Wow, yeah. I'm grateful. Yes, and how is that going? Is that... Is that it going pretty well for you? The podcast? Yes. So uh, so Angie and I did, I I want to say the number was like 140-something episodes nah, together. Nah. I think it was 140. And then um, her job and her family moved out of state for a while. She's since moved back to the state of Texas, <laughs> the states, <laughs> the state of Texas, but she's not here close to me anymore. So there was a season where I had to figure out, what am I doing with the podcast? And I only knew how to do it with her. Mm-hmm. And I loved doing it with her. And I felt like everybody loved it with her. You know, we just had that camaraderie. So I didn't know what to do for a while. And I've tested the waters a few different ways. But the message of identity advantage is still very big on my heart that I want people to know who they are in Christ. Yes. And so anything you said, I could preach on anything. I, I, I'm going to agree with you in the sense that I love God's word. And I, I do. I feel like you can give it to me. But somewhere I'm probably going to find a vein that's going to take you back to your identity or take you back to righteousness or who we are in Christ. And uh, and so every time I've ever prayed about it, I, if, I, if I thought about setting it down, I was sad. And I just kind of had a check. I'm not supposed to set it down. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I f- found the full vein of what it looks like by myself. Or maybe that's just me doubting myself because I still do that sometimes. Yeah. But um, but no, I'm I just uh, actually recorded number one eighty two today, so I've done about forty or so by myself, and uh, and and I just you know I'll get something on my heart, and I'm like I'm going to talk about it, so oh, yeah. it's still out there. Oh yeah, it, it, and it, it, and the crazy thing is, and I want people to know how how neat this is. The Lord told me a long time ago. This this is how He talked to me. He said, "I want you to cast your net over here," and that's when I started writing. Then He said, "I want you to cast your net over here." And I always thought about what he would tell Peter, try casting it on the other side and see what you catch. And I would always see that. So if I got, you know, a hundred new blog subscribers, that's a hundred people getting the word. Or if I got out in the newspaper, mm-hmm. you know, my blogs in the newspaper, that that's a, you know, somewhere. Or I got on CBN, there's a, there's oh. a, there's a pond, the Christian Broadcasting Network. Yes. They have a hundred thousand readers and they publish my content every month. You know, some people don't know that, but, you know, I've got these readers over here, now the podcast. And so um, I am so blessed that even with the the um, the changes with the podcast, I'll go check, you know, the stats. And I haven't posted today when I recorded a podcast. It's been four weeks. And I, I want to tell somebody this because I want you to know that it's making a difference, whatever you're doing. But in four weeks time without doing one podcast, there were still over 250 downloads. And I haven't done one. Well, but And then over the lifetime, there's like 30,000 something. And there's still some of the first episodes that Angie and I do still get traction. They'll get 100 <laughs> listens in a month. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just people are Googling. They find a word. You know, they find it mm-hmm. and they, the title catches them and they listen to it. You know, I, I, we've gotten emails from England. We've gotten, you know, uh, listeners from uh, the British Isles or wherever, all kinds of places. So, yeah. You know, Man, well, that's amazing. But just never underestimate the power of casting a net. Yeah, and see that's that's where I struggled. And I still kind of struggled even today. Um 
it was hard for me to kind of step out because you already kind of know me. I'm I'm more of a shy person, like to just kind of stay away from people. But um, of course, and Andrea has helped me out so much, you know, and pray prayer and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's it's helped me kind of cast that net out here. Mm-hmm. Even when I had that, I think it was like maybe two a month or so where I didn't have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, do I even want to do this anymore? Mm-hmm. But then just like you, when I think about it, I'm like, no, like I I want to, like I, I still need to. I believe it's. It's reaching at least one person, you know. And that's what I was sitting here thinking. It, it's the 99 and the one. Yes. Like God still cares. What if it is one? Mm-hmm. Is the one not worth it? Yeah. It is. Yes. And so, you know, I used to worry about those numbers. Oh, am I successful if I don't have enough subscribers, if I don't have enough followers? And then I learned, but what is the value of the one? What is the value of the five? Yes. You know, yeah. or a word in due season. Um, when I started doing some recent little video, short two-minute they take me less than 30 minutes to put the whole thing together. And I've gotten more lately, you know, uh, interaction with that. But, uh, but I've heard from some people that I didn't even know followed me. Mm. People way back from high school that were just like me. Yes. That I, that I don't know if they are walking with God. I don't know if they're saved. And they've individually sent me a message. Thank you. You know, keep doing this or whatever. You don't know who's watching, yes. who's reading, who's learning, and God's using it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was... Pretty much what you said there, like Andrea said the same thing. She's like, even if it's just the one, it's still worth it, and yes. and it is, mm-hmm. and it's still worth it. I've had, um, I don't like I said, I don't, I don't get a whole lot of feedback, but I, when I do, it's like, thank you, mm-hmm. like I, I'm loving your podcast. Like I had a, I had a message one day from actually one of our youth, used to be our youth, mm-hmm. and he was like, bro, I, I love your podcast. And I was like, man, I didn't even know you listened to my podcast, right. and, and yeah. it was just like, wow, like okay, mm-hmm. like thank you. As you were saying that, Jeremy, I was thinking about discipleship. Like, I think the modern day discipleship looks a lot different. Yes. You know, we picture discipleship, you know, Jesus, 12 followers sitting down in a room. And and the world looks different than that Mm -hmm. now. I still think that is a model. Yeah. But it looks different. So the podcast is discipleship. You're discipling someone uh, and you don't even know necessarily who it is. But then I thought, as that thought hit me, I thought, we always hear this term, the cost of discipleship. I think the cost of discipleship is time. Mm. I think it's prayer. I also think it's the struggle. You know, it's the fight to keep going, yes. to overcome the temptation to stop. Because who would want us to stop? Yeah. The enemy would want you to if it's really discipling somebody. Yeah. And it is. It absolutely is. Oh, yeah. Is. Man, that's so good. Mm-hmm. I didn't, didn't ever see it like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, mm-hmm. that is so good. Man, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Heck yeah. Um, now I kind of wanted to talk about something different, kind of other stuff that's happening in the world today. You know, of course, you know, George Floyd and then Ahmaud Ar- uh, mm-hmm. Aubrey. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, I don't know if you saw that video or not of George Floyd. I did. Um, what thoughts ran through your head? Well, immediately I was just grieved. I was very, very grieved because uh, what I, and I want to say this with clarity because I, I, well, let me say it and I'll clarify I don't see color, meaning I don't see that first. I don't judge that first. Mm. But I do see color, and I love that God sees color and that God has created us all, all unique. Yes. But I saw a man that it looked like he was in handcuffs. It looked like he was fine. I didn't understand, you know, and I didn't. And, and because we're watching the media, it wasn't for a couple of days did I realize that what I was seeing was almost nine minutes. You know, yeah. really, you're seeing a clip. They're not showing you the full nine minutes, or I didn't go find a clip yes. where I watched it. So I just thought, well, let him up. And then you find out he died like that, and it was so heartbreaking to me. Um, so 
you know, I, I think the message now is that, that we need to be very aware of our brothers and sisters, period. Jesus said, love your neighbor. And, and I'm going to add this. He didn't say, love your Christian neighbor. Yeah. He said, love your neighbor, period. Yeah, that's good. And so that's every person. And I don't always agree with my neighbor, but I can love my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And love, uh, you know, I sp- like to spend time in God's word. And, and, you know, long time ago, I learned to take 1 Corinthians 13 and the Amplified and just read it and apply it to my life. Put my name in there. You know, Daphne is patient and Daphne <laughs> is kind and Daphne is not rude or acts unbecomingly or whatever. And uh, those things, as you meditate on, it gets down in you. And mm-hmm. then that's what love's supposed to look like. Yes. So I may disagree, but I don't have to be rude, yeah. you know, or things like that. So I think that's what grieved my heart first was, and I shared something on social media this week that uh, the labels are sad to me. You know, instead of saying, you know, an innocent black man was killed by a corrupt white cop, why can't we just say an innocent man was killed by a corrupt cop? You know, why, why the labels? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think... I think it's good, though, that we're highlighting that there's been some corruption and there there definitely is racism. But, Jeremy, my, my view on it, though, is it's I'm, I am for speaking up. I am for defending the innocent. But I'm going to be honest with you. This isn't going away. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic. The reason I can confidently say it's not going away is because there's an enemy. And there's always going to be people that are not saved. There are going to be people that are not trusting God. They're not praying. They're not asking God. They're not waking up in the morning and going, God, what do you want me to do today? They don't even have the light of Jesus on the inside of them, much less the love of God to direct their lives. And so what what do their lives look like? They're hard. They're mean. They're cruel. They're rude. They're racist. That's going to be out there. But, but... The light of Jesus is inside of believers and it penetrates the darkness. And that's kind of been, you know, my soapbox for the last couple of weeks is people, we have a light. Yeah. And Jesus said in John chapter one that the darkness cannot overcome the light. And one translation says can't even comprehend it. It's like confusing to him how we keep shining, but it, but it's an irritation to him. And so we have to keep shining, keep showing the love of God, uh, keep speaking up for truth and, you know, I've caught myself wanting to like something and then hesitate and go, well, what if this person over here doesn't understand why I hit like on that? You know, mm, and I think yes. we've got a lot of that going on. And so I've had to pray through some things. I've had to try to step into another set of shoes, you know, and see it from another perspective. I was talking to my son, Ben, you know, uh, just a few days ago. And, and you know, he, he brought up the issue of profiling, you know, how a black man could walk through a neighborhood and, uh, and, and somebody might be, what are you doing over here? Yes, What's yeah. your intent over here? Yeah. But he was telling, he said, but this same, the story he was telling me, he said, but the same black man, if he takes his daughter out and they have a little poodle on a leash, then they don't think of that. Hmm. So, but that's profiling. Yes. And we've got to stop that. We just need to see a man walking down the road. Yeah. I went to, uh, a, an all men's prison several, several years ago when my book first came out, it was in Oklahoma. And Jeremy, this impacted me, and I bring it up because it still uh, shapes kind of how I see things now. And, and I don't know if you'll laugh at this or not, but you were in our church at that time, so you were probably in my vision. But I went into that men's prison, and we went into this gymnasium, and they're all sitting, you know, in the bleachers, and they all have on orange jumpsuits, okay? So they're all dressed the same, but they're clean cut. They've had showers or shaved or whatever. They're sitting there, and I literally thought, I'm looking at my church. 
Like there wasn't one man there that looked like you or look, I could go down the list of people that, and I thought I wanted to say, well, what'd you do? Cause I knew that I'm not afraid of you, yeah. but I had walked in there not knowing if I needed to be afraid. So I had profiled them simply by their location, mm. simply by their jumpsuit. And yet I, in that moment I went, they're just men that yeah. made a mistake, whatever. I don't know why they they're here, yeah. but God sees them mm-hmm. and they're just men, yeah. you know, oh, and, yeah. it, and it shaped me from then on. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to read this, uh, this tweet that, uh, that I found and just want to tell me what you think of it. Okay. It says, if you are Christian and can't hear black lives matter without saying all lives matter, go to Luke 15, 100 sheep and one goes missing. Jesus leaves the 99 and goes for the one, the 99. But what about us? Don't we matter? Jesus, of course, 99 matter, but they're not in danger. The one is. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a meme that was very similar to that. And it was kind of a cartoon drawing. I say a meme. It was a cartoon. And and there was a house that was on fire and and a fire truck was going over to put the fire out. And the house right next door was not on fire. But the man was outside. What about me? What about me? And the fireman said, or he said, don't I matter? And the fireman said, yes, you matter, but but your house is not in danger right now. And I think that's the same thing. Yes. I think, yes, all lives matter. But sometimes certain lives are in danger, and we need to be reaching out to those lives. Um, I, I see, though, that the, the persecution that, you know, my black friends, you know, have suffered. I've seen it in the Hispanic culture too. I've seen it in the Asian culture too. I've seen it. Um, but because of the heritage of the United States, um, I think it's been harder. I think it's been longer for them. It's not right, no matter who it is, but for right now, they need a voice that builds their confidence. What I hope though, and I'm following several on Twitter, uh, as well, uh, the black voice that also has the biblical voice. They're bringing balance to it because if we only listen to the voice that is just hurt and offended and they have a right to be, I get that. And and I want to bring comfort to them, but they need healing. And so if, if we stay in that vein, we're not going to find the full healing that we yeah. need. Um, there's always going to be an offense. There's always going to be assumption. One of the things that grieved my heart, if I'm honest, is that I saw, and I just saw a few of these, but I heard about it more, more than anything, but I saw a couple of them where people uh, you know, uh, you know, an African-American person, you know, posted, well, I'm just very disappointed in my friends who haven't spoken up or said something. I thought you were my friend, but, and, and they went on and had a mantra about that. And I stepped back from that and I thought, I understand what you're saying. However, are you not turning the table and doing to them what you don't want done to you? You just belittled them, labeled them, profiled them, And maybe they're just trying to find the right words, or maybe they haven't been on social media in three days, or or I don't know. I'm not justifying everything, but I think we have to be very careful that we don't end up turning the tables to fix a problem and create another problem. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that's going to fix that is the Word of God. It's going to be the love of Jesus, and that's just going to take healing. But I absolutely think that we need to turn. If if we're out in the ocean, and y'all are all in the boat, and there's somebody out there drowning who's the most important right now yes. <laughs> we're good we need to have all of our focus on the one yeah. that needs help right now oh, and yeah. so i think that that's how i see things right yeah. we need to focus on that yeah and what about the protest you know and i know of course that ended up in riots and then that kind of just ended in people killing each other but 
Yeah. So I think it's to some, it, it, I questioned it. I'll be honest with you because I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that, I'm not saying it wasn't justifiable, but, but when I watched it at first, just the peaceful ones, I thought, but what's going to happen at the end? I didn't understand like gathering and marching to this, the end of the street, you know, what, what, is going to happen because what I want is results. So I want to know if I'm getting this March, when we get to the end of the street, we've got a new law. We've got a new something. And so yeah. I watched for a little while going, what are we accomplishing? But I realized after a while, and this is how Martin Luther King also got things done, is they just showed the number of support. Like we need to come together. We need to show that we can walk together. And so I realized that it's just more than the actual result of getting to the end of the protest was just the uh, the coming together and the unity, that's the word I was looking for, the unity that it brought of all different ages and people. And uh, now the rioting, uh, the looting, that grieved my heart. I remember Todd and I were watching some of it. It was live television, like a live feed of Target. And I just thought, Todd, we're watching theft. We're just, wa-. it was so heartbreaking to me. But again, it's what I described. We're always going to have those that they don't have that compass in them that's going to point to morally right, mm. you know, or morally correct or whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, so that, that part was very grieving to me. And then I think I do believe, um, I don't know how much of it's been proven, but I do believe there was probably some that infiltrated in there to make it look like it was a certain group when it really, it was a, you know, mm. anarchist or whatever they want to call them. You yeah. know? So you've always got that, but isn't that how the spirit is? That's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Yeah. There's always some of that going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, you know, what what could the church do? What could us as Christians do? But you pretty much already explained it. Um, just pretty much, yeah, we can be a voice. We can go out there and be love. We can go out there and be light in, a, in this dark world, you know. So, yeah, you pretty much explained that. Um, and I kind of go back on the protest. Do you know who uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick is? Yes. Yeah. You know, when he protested, yeah, he knelt down during the, the national anthem because mm-hmm. of pretty much of what's going on right now. Like, mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on that? I'm still mixed, to be honest with you, because when he did it, the indication, even by his own explanation, was America. I'm not going to kneel to this flag. I'm not going to kneel to this. Um, I think now maybe it's being clarified. And so I, I just feel like, and I, and I thought it at the time, if I can go back in time. So I thought at the time, I have no problem that you want to protest something. Yeah. But do you need to protest it right now during that moment or when you're paid on the clock to, you know, that'd be the same if I had an employee that said, I know you're paying me a salary right now, but at nine o'clock, I'm going to go out here for a whole hour and not, you know, I'm not going to do my work or whatever. So I kind of saw that I, and I was confused by it. I just thought, I don't know that your message is really getting the right message. So now bringing it fast forward, if they're clarifying the message, Absolutely. But, but I still wonder, is there not a better way? Because this problem is not just in America. This is a worldwide problem of racism, of um, an underdog, you know, of supremacy and, and things like that and different, yeah. <clears throat> different races and cultures. And, uh, and so to me, when they kneel at the anthem, I'm probably very patriotic and I just wish they would find another way to do it. You know, so I am, I do like that it's brought people together, but we talked about it. So, uh, was it, uh, is it Drew Brees? I had to think who it was. So Drew Brees, I don't know his exact quote, but whatever he did, he retracted it. Yes. Yeah. 
and his, you know, it, he hurts the feelings of some of his, you know, teammates, teammates and things and other, like that. Other, yeah. And, but I, I think I was a little sad that he retracted, not that he retracted if he felt like he was really wrong, but that he didn't clarify more. Like, in other words, if he was, if he wanted to defend the flag, you know, but then also wanted to support his brothers, then I think there, I wondered if there was another way oh, yeah. to do that. It, can you do both? Yes. Well, and yeah. that, that's, that's where I'm at is I yeah. look at something and I go, we absolutely, you know, need to help and we need to come together and we need to build unity, but we don't need to do it at the cost. You know, what is that saying that the squeaky wheel gets the attention? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes the rioting, the looting and the protesting is a squeaky wheel. And yet they're not necessarily doing it righteously. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're down there cussing everybody out, you know, you know, looting or whatever, or, or maybe they're not. Maybe if we're just talking about the peaceful protesters, you mm-hmm. know, but um, but I, I just always want to bring that back, you know, and, and I hesitate to say that because I don't want anybody listening to this going, you know, she doesn't understand. Well, I don't if I haven't lived in your shoes, but I but I want to understand and see things through the eyes yeah. of the word of God. And what would God say? And Jesus was a radical. You know, he saw a lot of things and he called them out. And he would say, no, that's, and, and, and the people of his day, you know, criticized him. The scribes and the Pharisees criticized him, yeah. but he wouldn't budge. This is righteous. This is not righteous. And I think we need to just make sure that we're balanced on yeah. that. And, I, and I'm glad that you said that, that, you know, we haven't been in their shoes. Mm-mm. Like I've, I've never, well, maybe one time, you know, I've been asked some crazy questions because of, I know because of mm-hmm. skin color, but mm-hmm. other than that, like that's about it. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. Mm-mm. Like how like how things are for you, you mm-hmm. know, and um, um, uh, man, I, I trained, lost my train of thought. Dang it, that's okay. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll yeah, add, just, I'll add this while you while you get there, but you know, my um, I have some personal experience, not in the same shoes, but uh, but my mom's second marriage, no, third marriage was uh to a man from Jamaica, and she and I'd never seen my mom that in love before. It really changed her life and I loved him no. for the for how he loved her but that was very hard on her parents mm. you know um, for her to be in an interracial marriage and uh, and so I've lived that up close to see the rejection and even learned things since because my mom probably you know hid a lot of things you know from me just thinking that was protection or whatever not wanting me to know and I've learned a few things and it's sad to me that, you know, she was in that position or he was in that position thinking, well, you know, we just won't show up together, yeah. you know, to cause a problem at this special day or whatever. And that's sad. And I've not walked in those shoes, yeah. but I've walked near those shoes and I've seen it and, and it and it's heartbreaking. And that was even, and I have to say, there's something in people that really we are called to love people. Even, even before you give your heart to Christ, there's a seed of God's love in every person. We're made in his image. So even before... You know, I was born again. You know, there was compassion in me for someone that was hurting. You know, there was compassion to help the one that was lesser yeah. or whatever. And uh, and I think if we'll tap into that, we'll, that's how we find Jesus. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, what I was going to say is, um, you know, I lived in a community where we had pretty much all race. Well, not, I mean, you know, we had whites, we had Mexicans, and we had blacks. Then you come over here to the community here, and there's very little... Black people. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Germans and there's mm-hmm. a lot of whites and there's a lot of Mexican. Mm-hmm. So to me, it, it, it's just, I feel like it's going to be a culture shock when the, peop- the, the students that graduate from here 
go on mm-hmm. and to college or something. So how could we raise our kids better? Not to say better, but I don't know how it is for other parents, but mm-hmm. for them to know, like, and you have to see their heart. And, yeah. and I understand, yes, mm-hmm. Jesus is mm-hmm. the solution to everything. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. But there are some parents Natural out there, that, yes, mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I'll, I'll borrow something that Ben did just because I don't have young kids right now, you know, and I uh, I so love that he he had the wisdom to do this. But my grandson, Roman, is five and Ben sat him down and showed him the video, not the whole thing, but and but he showed him the George Floyd video and he explained to him what was happening. And he explained to him after he cut it off and he said, and that man died. And Roman said, why? He had questions for his dad. And Ben wanted to show him because the other man didn't value his life. And and Roman was heartbroken over that. But I think that simple lesson showed Roman not, not to be mad at the white man only, yeah. but to realize they're both human. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that to another human? Exactly. And I think it's little things like that that we can sow into our children so that they see that every person has value and needs to be treated with respect yeah. and value. And so I think if we do that, then um, then if we go off, you know, to somewhere else, and I haven't seen that culture before, hopefully what I see first is their value. Yes. I see yeah. that I'm looking at another human. They say that the, the, uh, the number one spoken language, understood and spoken language in the whole world is a smile. Because everybody has that. Mm-hmm. And so I may not know your language or you know mine, but we can smile and yeah. we can, you know, initiate something if there's value there, yeah. if we see love and respect there. Man, so I think yeah. I think if we show that to our children, yes. they should be fine. Oh yeah, I agree. That's that's so good right there. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't know Ben did that, you mm-hmm. know, but that's yeah, I believe that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't I'm still kind of questioning if I want to show, of course, right. my little ones. But man, that's. I think you have to know your child. Yes. You have to know, and, and the age is going to vary for oh, yeah. different ones. And you have to be led, too. Yeah. You know, oh, but, yeah, for but sure. Roman, uh, actually, he knows his dad's best friends, and they're all people of color. Yeah. And oh, yeah. so he's already been exposed to that. So that's very good. But then he wanted to show him that not everybody has the same relationship that I have with my friends. And we need to we need to love everybody. Yes, you know. Oh, yeah. So I just wanted to show him. No, the and that's that's a mm-hmm. that's an awesome example. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and, and that's how and that's how I am. You know, I'll have, you know, I hang out with anybody mm-hmm. pretty much, and I and I want my kids to know, like, man, just because of the color of skin, doesn't you don't have to put a label on them. Yeah. You know, and I'm and and Teddy had brought it up on our last podcast. He was saying, you know, Mexicans are pretty much labeled for either beating your wife, getting drunk, dr- uh drugs mm-hmm. um black people is thugs mm-hmm. you know criminals mm-hmm. and and i want to teach them like no like it's not like that Mm-mm. at all like you go out in the world and yeah you may you may run across somebody who is bad but it doesn't mean you have to put a label on them because of their color right exactly yeah. i saw somebody share this the other day and it was um you know if you go to a farmer's market and get some eggs from a farmer's market you might get a really dark egg a really you yeah. know light colored egg and you might get a white egg yeah but you crack them all open they look identical Exa- yeah oh, you yeah. know and and i saw that and i remember thinking and if we all laid our arms out here and we cut all the way across, um, they're all going to bleed the same too, yep, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so it's not the outside; it's the inside mm-hmm. that matter. And Jesus said that. He said it's not what's on the inside of a man, yeah. uh, or on the outside of a man that defiles a man. It's what's on the inside. Oh, so, yeah. man, well, that's uh, that's all I have for today. 
Well, thank you for letting me share my heart. Yes, no, just thank be honest you. and transparent. Yes, and and that's man, it couldn't just been at a perfect time. Like I told you before, I feel like you were a, a woman with power. You know, you you know how to use your voice, and people listen when you speak. Mm -hmm. um, I've always felt that from you. You know, um, I just I really admire your heart. You know, for people, I admire what you're doing. Um, I've always just looked up to you. Pretty much, you know, not to say I don't look up to Pastor Todd, but it's just something about you that's it's just you catch people's attention. You're just real with pretty much anybody you come across. Mm. And um, I love that. It's, it's, it's awesome. And I think that's why you're so good at what you do. You know, your ministry and your podcast, your books, everything. It's mm. I love them. It's, it, they're, they're awesome. Well, thank you, Jeremy. I'm listening to that. And, and I thank you for those kind words. But it's it's funny if we're going to go back to the very beginning, you know, I doubt those things. You know, I don't see those things. But maybe that's also okay. Maybe that's what helps us. But we see the mission. We see, yes. you know, the other person. And we just don't want them left in that condition. I don't want anybody, you know, to feel like I did. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to feel like they don't have hope or that they don't have the promise of another chance. Yeah. You know, and so we just keep speaking. We keep speaking and then God gets the glory. Oh, yeah. So. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, you know, mm -hmm. you do have social media. What mm -hmm. um, You do have Instagram and I do. Facebook. And Everything is now Daphne Delay. So DaphneDelay.com. That's D-A-P-H-N-E. Uh, D-E-L-A-Y, Daphne Delay.com, but Facebook, Daphne Delay, Instagram, Daphne Delay, Twitter, Daphne Delay. What about website? Yeah. That is Daphne Delay.com. Oh, yeah, so, you said that. Mm -hmm, Daphne yep, so that would be, I have blogs, I have videos, I have podcasts, uh, have an opportunity if they want to help sew books into prisons. We have a goal this year to try to get 10,000 books into prisons. Oh, wow. uh, I get letters all the time. And uh, from inmates requesting books and then testimonies uh, from them, you know, I feel like a lot of times, uh, you know, they're in there because they, there is a mistake. Mm. But what if they had learned who they were? What if they had gotten some tools early? So yeah. it's not too late. Yeah. So we, let's, let's get their identity corrected and then watch what God can oh, do. Really? So I love yeah. that I, that part of the ministry is very important to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's good. And um, you can also follow me, of course, on No Holds on Instagram and Facebook. I do have a – I do. I personally have a same thing, Instagram and Facebook. It's Jeremy Duran. You can also follow that. But um, and uh, also subscribe, follow. I'm on YouTube also, Anchor, in different Apple, Spotify, different ones. and So share, like, follow. If you want to – if you want to come on here and tell your story, hey, let me know. I'd be more than all, I mean, more than glad to have you on here. But until next time, that that's it, and we're out. Thank all right. you. Thanks. Peace.